As the world continues to evolve, so does the landscape of healthcare. The integration of technology and innovation has paved the way for advancements in the diagnosis, treatment and overall delivery of healthcare services. No matter what you do in healthcare today, you need to understand the potential of digital transformation in healthcare, the impact of artificial intelligence and the global healthcare challenges and opportunities that exist. With me today on the show is Stefan Binney, an orthopedic surgeon and professor at the University of California, San Francisco. And he was in Australia conducting some research on digital transformation across the globe. And in this episode, we talk about the potential of artificial intelligence in healthcare, the shift towards customised healthcare solutions, and the importance of understanding local market pain points. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech, featuring content and community about technology and healthcare. We acknowledge the traditional owners of lands these conversations were recorded and pay respect to elders past and present. Being a GP in Australia is a busy gig. You see a lot of patients during the day, then you're expected to find time outside of the clinic to maintain your CPD and education. A great way for GPs to access education is through podcasts. And Australia's leading education podcast for busy GPs is called The Good GP. It's had well over a million downloads, regularly ranked in the top 10 medical podcasts in Australia, and a proud member of the Talking Health Tech Podcast Network. The show's hosted by three GPs, Chris, Tim, and Sean, and The Good GP regularly features episodes on all the important topics that GPs need to know without all the fluff. And The Good GP Podcast now has the support of MedTech Global as a key sponsor for the show. MedTech help GPs be GPs by working with clinicians in Australia and New Zealand to develop patient management systems and healthcare technology. MedTech's on a mission to digitally transform general practice so GPs can focus on quality patient care. If you're a busy GP or know someone who is, check it out, The Good GP Podcast, on your favourite podcast player. Okay, Stefano, how you going? Yeah, do incredibly well. I couldn't be more excited to meet you here in Sydney of all places. Right, Last well, time we saw each other was in Las Vegas, I think. Yeah, we had to. We, we didn't get time to to do a recording when I was in in Las Vegas. Probably a little bit closer to home for you, but uh, uh, so we had to come to here in Rose Bay in Sydney on this um, pretty. I've got to say, it's it's. We've definitely brought out the weather for you here in Sydney. Oh, so. very thoughtful, very thoughtful. <laughs> as we as we're sitting there in the brink of a new year, it's I mean New Year's Eve tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And, so it's uh, it's a good time to be able to sit down and have a chat. But firstly, maybe um, for those on aware, tell us a little bit more about you and, and what you do. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a long story, which I'll make quite short. I'm a, but my, my primary job is I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I work as a uh, professor. I'm the uh, Maria Manetti and professor of orthopedic surgery at UCSF, University of California, San Francisco, where I'm in the department of orthopedics. And I do hip and knee arthroplasty and a lot of revision work as well. So mm-hmm. that's two thirds of my time. The other third of my time is in research and digital health. And I run and started 19, no, gosh, in 2017 or something, the Digital Orthopedics Conference at San Francisco, mm. which we used to run at the uh, JP Morgan event. And the idea there was that as I was uh, keeping a foot on both sides of this uh, aisle, one side was clinical orthopedics, speaking at clinical meetings and getting more involved with digital health and technology, the two were not connecting. So we came up with this conference designed to bring together the ecosystem uh, in one place, one location, um, and we did that at J.P. Morgan for for many years, and then we're now on our own. Yeah, excellent, interesting. And 
bridge that connection for me. What brings you to Sydney? Ah, Sydney. I grew up in Sydney from 1973 to 1980, which dates me a little bit. I was a <laughs> young man, went to school just up the street here. Yeah, so huge, huge place in my heart for the city. I swear to God, every time I land, I'm like, okay, I called the Orthopedic Association of Australia. How can I come? <laughs> what, do you, what can I do? What yeah, can yeah. I do? This city's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And so you're you're here. I've, I've heard you're, you're in a few different locations visiting other parts. Right. Of I've taken a six-month sabbatical to research uh, digital, digital transformation across the globe and seeing how uh, people are applying these new technologies that have come up in the next five, six years to solve what seemingly would be untractable problems in healthcare, like access, mm. uh, quality, um, cost, usual areas. Um, what I've found traveling the world in the past is that different people have different problems and solve them differently, and then we can each learn from each other in that process. So very much uh, top of mind for me is understanding um, what people, what what challenges people are finding digital solutions for that I can maybe bring back to our audience at DocSF. Yeah, that's interesting. In, in my conversations that um, I had uh, in health in previous episodes of the Talking Health Tech podcast at the health event, I reflected on some of those and quite a few were quite um, US-centric and talking about the payment system and and some challenges that, that are faced there and how technology could play a role. But I did find that a lot of the... Um, the challenges that some vendors were looking to to address, and even some of those hospital executives were were seeking resolution for, were um, uh, issues that that we face everywhere in the world, including, like you say, uh, access and equity uh, concerns around ethics and AI, yes. and and some some consistent themes that you could pick up and go into anyway. But it's interesting that you say that um, in a lot of locations, these these issues seem to differ in different parts of the world. Right. So. Um... The challenges may be different, but the solutions are often have similar core competencies. So even if we don't go from nation to nation, if we go from specialty to specialty within healthcare, mm-hmm. it's not uncommon that you'd be, say, at a pediatric conference and they're talking about a problem that across the hall or down the street, they've already solved in adult reconstruction or something. Um, maybe those are two bad examples, but the point is that within healthcare, very frequently, one especially in their own uh, very limited mindset has solved the problem, hasn't shared outside of them especially, and it could be solved. Yeah. So when you say access, yes, but access in a for-profit system versus a, a state-sponsored a state system versus a no healthcare system are quite different, but often the solutions still leverage some form of digital technology in the form of telehealth, telemedicine. Mm. Um, then the payment system uh, that had been created to solve the the problem of creating a fee for that service, because it has to be some payment for any service, um, may actually be quite applicable in any of those environments. So how do you learn from that experience and and bring it across to an another organization, place, position, country, mm. where, oh, I hadn't, the answer could possibly, that's a great idea, I hadn't thought about it. Um, well, I think about even from my own experiences working within uh, the industry for quite a while in, in the example of um, skin cancer. So here in Australia, right. we've right. put sunscreen on so we can record this conversation because two out of three Australians get skin cancer in their lifetime. And from my experience in speaking to a lot of GPs around Australia, so general practitioners, family practitioners, mm-hmm. they probably see more melanomas in their family practice than what, say, a dermatologist in you know the US might see you know, in their lifetime, the GP might see it in a week. So um, whilst you could demonstrate the effectiveness of, say, technology that might assist in diagnosing skin cancers, say, with AI or ML um, uh, in Australia or in New Zealand, say, well, that's great. Let's just pick that up and put that into other parts of the world. 
um, there's a few more bridges to be gapped there, I think, in terms of, well, that's great that we can demonstrate it in Australia, but, um, you know, in Australia, we've got melanographers, so nurses that can do, you know, skin checks. Let's take a step back. So what you said was, excuse me for interrupting, but the point is you said, look, uh, the core of it is we see more of it. Mm. Therefore, algorithms can be trained to be more accurate and we actually use it more so we can keep feeding this information back and create a better algorithm. And maybe you do it in the United States because you just won't see as much. True. However, the same technology required to identify the edges of a lesion mm-hmm. and demarcate it and then do the color differentiation and make sure you can do that between dark skins and light skins can be used for plenty of problems. Mm. So you might not have thought about the fact that we need to solve the question of skin infections mm-hmm. after surgery. They all look red, but actually it's variations of red. Mm-hmm. And there's, time, there's the variations over time in redness. And, uh, and perhaps the same technology that was trained to understand variations in skin lesions could very easily be adapted, um, or the algorithm can be adapted and retrained mm-hmm. on to, to look at skin, skin infections, for example. Yeah. Um, and this is where I find the opportunity, is crossing that not so obvious barrier some people may not see. Like, okay, well, let's, what is the core technology you had to use to solve this problem? Where else do we have that same problem, uh, which is, a diff- in this case, identifying um, the, the, the qualities of a, a, a lesion, in this case, a color difference or texture difference, or uh, it could be raised, it could be flat, it could be puppules, it could have a central core of infection. What are those features that you have to teach the algorithm to do? Where else do we have those issues? Mm-hmm. So it could be differentiating uh, different kinds of inflammatory skin lesions, like, for example, uh, a dermatitis of some sort. It's not cancer, but it's going to be the same fundamental core technology. And we've seen this now with the... Um, large language models and they were trained across the board like you know like chat gpt was trained across all the internet information wasn't very good for certain things but you take that same model and retrain it on a very specific data set it now now becomes an expert in that specific mm-hmm. area so why can't we do the same kind of thing if you've already leveraged some artificial intelligence technology almost all of which is some form of machine learning oh as, as you're saying that i'm thinking you know yes we can go into the, the ai piece a little bit more but i think back to you know the, the the hypiest thing that was before in the technology space, but before large language models was this um, potential around blockchain and how yes. it's going to revolutionize every industry that that, yeah. it, that ever exists. But sometimes to me, it felt like it was a little bit like a hammer looking for nails, you know, mm. like we've, I've got this technology, surely I can apply it to this. No, that didn't work. Okay, well, maybe we can apply it to this one. So how do you find that balance between, yeah, you could take that technology and apply it somewhere else, but um, are we kind of trying to fit a square peg into a great, round circle. Great, great question. Great question. Yeah. I agree that entirely. We see that a lot, right? Especially mm. in our world. Hey, I can do this. Can you use it? Yeah. Um, and generally speaking, the question is, I think we've done a lot of, so the answer is, I don't know. Mm. The question you're asking is, how do we start to identify those technologies that are not just glitzy, but actually imp- impactful? And the way I come back to that is, are you, are you solving a problem or are you solving a pain point? A problem is something we all learn to live with. And as a rule of thumb, healthcare systems do a very good job of managing problems without fixing them. Pain points, though, are the ones where somebody comes up and says, I want that yesterday mm. because if I could, I would pay it out of pocket to mm. get that problem off my shoulders because it's a pain point. It's just every day I go to work, every day I, I do the build, whatever it is that I'm doing, this is really problematic. Mm. In the United States right now, the one that I keep hearing about is uh, physician burnout. And physician burnout has been largely made worse by technology. So we, yeah. we're, we're working against ourselves in this way. At the same time, 
when we talk about this, okay, let's talk a little bit about online banking in the 1980s and the dial tone and the beep, how long it took. And then fast forward 20 years and you, and there's more bank tellers in the United States than there ever were, but they're doing different work. Right. And online banking is now the real thing. So if you talk about uh, patient, uh, patient engagement platforms, or if you talk about uh, telehealth visits, uh, we think about it as a Zoom today. Mm. It's so far from where we're going to wind up. Mm. And what we're going to wind up is going to be so much more um, collaborative uh, and joyful. It'll be a, a very like some kind of avatar that knows, can access your electronic health record, can answer most of your questions, can set up appointments for you, is with you all the time, can be your health coach. That is going to be an, an unintrusive and, and seamless experience that we're, that's around the corner. I, I, we can build it tomorrow. Just so mm. the, back to your point earlier is where, where is the pain point that we're solving? Yeah. Well, if I think about that as an example, the, 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 if I'm correct in what you've said, the pain point, I guess, during the peak of COVID would be that we're just physically not able to be in the same location to have a consultation. So a virtual consult through Zoom or whatever might, might um, address that particular issue. But we've got this bigger problem within the healthcare system that we're kind of just learning to live with of like, well, you know, increasing chronic disease and the aging population and all these kind of challenges and a, and a, and a burgeoning healthcare system that, that can't support it through, you know, demonstrated through these examples, like you say, of um, healthcare workforce burnout, because that's the same, you know, in, in Australia as well. So I guess it's um, potentially there are like, how do you take some of these problems or issues to, to almost increase the, the, um, the weight of them almost or the priority or that burning platform so that they become the pain points to, to then address? Or is that just kind of, otherwise you've, you've got a lot of technologies that are kind of just looking to be, um, you know, put together a really good sales pitch to be able to convince uh, hospital executives as opposed to like listening to their, their, their pain points. So let me take one step back. There are some, there's some things that we simply cannot solve with humans mm. right now. Access is one of them. We have, we hold up this idea that a 30 minute visit with me is better than a 30 minute visit with me as an avatar. Right. Fantastic. That's a false dichotomy. Mm. That 30 visit with me is simply not accessible. Mm. You don't want to wait two months, three months. Like to me specifically, it's about two or three months. Or if you're living a long way from the healthcare center, you may have to drive 30, 40, 50 miles, 100 miles to go. So that visit, that 30 minute visit with a terrific GP who knows everything about you, who's willing to spend time with you, who's not overworked, not stressed, that is not accessible anymore. Mm. So don't hold it up as this thing that we have to deliver. We don't have enough people to do that with. Yeah. So we have to solve that problem some other way. The healthcare uh, governments cannot continue to promise to deliver care to people and not deliver it. Mm -hmm. um, they have to, and at some point, it won't be the hospital systems going to be looking to drive this to, the, these visits off off their platform. It'll be patients to be looking mm -hmm. for them, and they'll be paying for them out of their pockets. They have to, but eventually they're, they're going to say, "Look, no, we need the government to cover this. We pay our taxes. We want to cover it." At some level, that's the only way we're going to solve this access issue, mm -hmm. especially once. The technology gets better than your GP. So if you look at the most recent data of the more complex healthcare diagnostics, physicians get the, these questions they offer, they ask. It's 50, 60% of the time the physician gets it right. The software gets right to 80, 90% of the time. It's not 100. So people are, oh, well, it's not 100. Well, yeah. your doctor's around 60. Sure. So which one would you prefer? Mm -hmm. One you can access 24-7, speaks your language, whatever gender you want, whatever issue you want to address. And it's nice. So uh, most recently, also some other data looking at uh, how well, how valued 
the responses were by clinicians versus by AI. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you saw that, but the clinicians did very poorly and the AI did very well. Why? Because the AI wrote, wrote answers to emails, things like that. Oh, Mr. Smith, so sorry to hear you having such, such a right. problem. Yeah. I see in your chart you had it two months ago. Let's repeat that again. Have you tried this and the other? And we'll have a conversation. The physician's like, take to us, you know, take to us when call me tomorrow and make sure. an appointment. And so it's the, it's the problem we're seeing is that we're, the healthcare system isn't keeping up with demand. Mm. What other alternatives are there? So the pain point isn't there yet, perhaps, to the point where we're having people truly drive it, but it mm. can't be too far behind. Yeah. Well, you know, I hear plenty of examples of, of consumers that, uh, you know, particularly in Australia, telehealth, we should be the champions in Australia of telehealth across the world, given that, you know, something 100 miles away is probably not too far away in Australia, <laughs> right, you know, right, right. compared to, point, you know, we've point. got people who, who need to fly and, and it takes a week or two to get to an appointment if they're coming from rural and remote areas and to do something that could have potentially been a, a um, telephone conversation or a conversation with another human, you know, uh, clinician in, in the conversation too. And that's kind of how telehealth is, is being used in, in Australia. There's another model that's coming up, yeah. which we went from, you know, I've been in this for a while, I mean, looking at it, and originally it was supposed to be an almost full replacement concept, like mm. telehealth, sensor, mm. et cetera. And what's really happening instead is that they're having some you know, um, lower level practitioners, nurses, nurse practitioners, medical assistants who go in and actually interface with the patients, much closer distance, but are backed up by technology yes. with a physician. And that, that, that hybrid model is looking quite promising. And I would argue that from my experience working with nurses and nurse practitioners and, and even um, technicians, that they're usually the ones that have, I'm generalizing, but might have more empathy or some of those skills that patients will value yes. when you are then looking at, well, looking at the people I've got in this patient flow, you know, the specialist clinician might be very good at assessing all the data points to be able to provide a a pathway, but then you've got the right humans involved to be able to provide that that care that uh, the patients do. Because when you come to you know that point before about how we don't, even though the accuracy of the AI is much higher when it comes to the quality of services provided or whatever it might be, or the, the actually the accuracy of care, we have a higher burden of you know tolerance there for for the the technology because we still want that human involved saying is this okay so right. there's there's definitely that balance i think that needs to be found in in different care and and, and you see some good examples of it here in australia in um those, those areas we need it most but um potentially that can be something we can lean into a little bit more with with technology and finding those those spots where it can provide I guess somewhat of a hybrid approach because, like you say, in, in the banking area, it's not like yes, there's you know a lot less tellers that you can go in and you know take money from a person, but there's other roles that these these humans play. Yeah, and, and then then the other thing that it's important to remember is that we when we go to diagnostics, that is like the the highest possible level of AI. Yeah. But where else can they help us? Yes. How about booking an appointment? How about uh, uh, medication referral? Mm. How about explaining the results of a lab tests? How about um, we're creating a bridge between multiple cl- clinicians that need to share a data set? Mm. How about uh, uh, summarizing a complex data set for a clinician CGNX? Yes. So read, read your electronic health record and just present it in a, in a more cogent way. Mm. There's so much more to do. And then there's all the AI ops side of it that I'm sure you've been hearing about is where people are applying this more to hospital administrative side, making sure they don't have too many of one thing, too few of the other, the drugs don't sit on the shelf and then go bad because mm. they're not misused, that they're too many were purchased. Um, and to your point about blockchain, some of it is temporal. The infrastructure for blockchain isn't there yet. Sorry, it just isn't. Mm. And the uh, the opportunities are there. The financial, it makes sense for a bunch of uh, hospitals, or small hospitals especially, to get together, do smart contracts. 
But the on the back end, there is an incentive for the people contracting to this because they're going to lose money at it. Mm-hmm. So so it's 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 not quite there yet. Um, and then there's the uh, then there's a generational thing. So right now, we, I wrote a paper a while back looking at the COVID demand for orthopedic services in the United States at five different medical centers across the United States that represented different communities. And what we found was, as you can imagine, a massive peak during COVID. And then we assumed it would stay there because of the issue of traveling and long wait times. In fact, it went back to like 2 to 5%. Uh, and people uh, choosing to come hours to go see their doctor um, because the, this experience they're having uh, online, it just isn't that good. So two things about that. One is there's a generation of people who are growing up that don't see the one-on-one things being a particularly positive experience. Yeah. They actually look to have it vir- virtually. And then there is the thing that the technology itself is going to get so much better. Mm-hmm. So I think what to just remember, it's only been 12, 15 years that this has been gone from science fiction to reality. So let's not jump the gun. Yeah, this, it's, um, but it's also, it, it can provide some, um, I would hope, especially, you know, being recording this on the, the cusp of the new year and hospital executives and, and systems looking at planning over the next 5, 10, 15 years and, and digital always is playing an increasing role in those strategies, but also vendors with these good technologies that um, have their hammers looking for nails. Right. What, and in your view across different healthcare systems, I'd love to hear from you about, um, you know, for those vendors looking to to find the right nails with their technologies, what are some of those consistent themes that you find in, in different parts of the world that we should be prioritizing when creating some of these technologies for the healthcare system? Yeah, I think that there's, um, I think in the United States in particular, uh, Europe is, I'll come back to Europe. Yeah, I say in particular, what you're seeing is a sort of um, binder than that. Mm. I don't need 10 different platform, 10 different things to peg in my platform. Uh, I don't want to manage all those APIs. Yeah. Um, come to me with a package. Um, I want it integrated. I want it to talk to Epic. I want to talk to Cerner. I don't need you to tell me you did it out of place. Figure it out. Mm. So two things just dropped recently. One is an improvement in the data sharing um, uh, the protocols that the um, um, government has released and yep. just requiring everybody to follow, that should help a little bit. I think we're now seeing both CERN and EPIC being more helpful in the United States with respect to this than it happened in the past. Sorry if anybody doesn't <laughs> agree with that, but I think it's been a problem. Uh, and, uh, and now it's the hospitals that want to share the data, which is actually quite mm. interesting. Um, but that is slowly but surely that the, the data fluency, is, the data shareability is becoming less of an issue. That means that if you now are um, have the capability, let's just say you're not so much a startup, but you're a VC, and you have, and mm-hmm. you're seeing this happen more with these venture studios. This concept that people start to develop a series of startups, each of which feed each other, connected from the beginning, or somehow sit, sit on the same platform and as a unit to a vendor yeah. to, to to a purchaser. Say, look, mm-hmm. I can supply any of these, three of them, five of them, six of them, but we talk to each other with support. I think that's going to be an easier sell than trying to go and do that single isolated pain point. Um, And contextually, I call it a Trojan horse environment. Like you see some mergers and acquisitions happen in small startups. Well, that's because one of these may have gotten into seven or eight health systems 
And by buying them or by partnering with them, you now have access to all those APIs essentially. Mm. And actually can say, okay, I can come help you. And then, then to the uh, to the hospital systems, like great, that's much, much easier for me than to deal with a whole new vendor, right. particularly around security. Security, security, security. It's mm. all I hear about. Every time I try to bring something to my own system, half the time when the concept fails is because they put them through a IT security platform uh, review that didn't meet their standards. Mm. The Talking Health Tech podcast has been running since 2018 with over 400 episodes and no signs of slowing down. It's all possible thanks to the support of our THT Plus members. These are startup and scale-up members who get it. They know that collaboration starts with a conversation and they know that to make meaningful change in healthcare, we need to break down those silos one conversation at a time. We love to feature our THT Plus startup and scale-up company members on this podcast, so you'll hear from them regularly if you listen to this show, and you'll also see they have a strong presence on our SEO-optimized website. THT Plus members can share unlimited content on our website too, like news events and jobs, which we then redistribute across our wider audience through our socials and our newsletter. If you're interested in being part of the conversation, become a THT Plus member today so we can get the word out about the most important topics in healthcare together. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT Plus to learn more. Well, that's interesting too, is that um, often people might think, well, there's, we might be, yes, data security is remark- security is remarkably important because we're dealing with sensitive patient data and there's we're, we're in an area that is... Um, uh, prone to increase cybersecurity issues. And for a healthcare system, that if there were to be a breach, that's a lot of people's reputations and, and a lot of individuals' information that they can't really change. You know, you're in the, the, the finance system, you yep. can change your credit card information, but you can't get your healthcare information back once it's out there. Um, at the same time, it can be a, a, an easy excuse to say, well, we can't change, you know, this particular system because it doesn't meet this this particular security protocol and um, finding this balance from my own experience between perhaps there's an opportunity for technology vendors to lean into some of these cybersecurity uh, issues and Mm -hmm. and, um, because it's it's an area too that um, does in some parts move so quickly that sometimes these protocols are kind of being written a little bit on the fly as well or there's a lot of uncertainty and ambiguity. So um, yeah, I think this point around transparency and having as much information as possible and, and perhaps, you know, not trying to, you know, go a thousand miles wide and and yes. an, an inch deep because yes. the further you try and branch out, the yes. more questions you have around, yeah. you know, access to to data around this particular point. So it's a bit of a fine balance, and I guess it's finding those particular. I find that the the vendors that have the most amount of success are the ones that have, I guess, co-designed or co-created a particular solution uh, solution for a really specific use case within a healthcare system, one healthcare system, and then gone, okay, that's interesting. That might apply to another. Problem. Who else has the same yeah. problems? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. takes us all the way back to the first question. Yeah, yeah. You don't just have to go around the world to look for these opportunities. Mm. Mm. You can be around the corner, yes. um, where somebody's already solved the problem you, you think is insurmountable, mm. and they fix it because they had to, or they chose to, or they incubated it. Yes. Um, so, um, Razi Shrestha did a great job even EPNC, where he basically would bring in startups that he thought were maybe B plus ideas, mm. but A plus teams. They need a little bit of help. They then incubated them internally, deployed them across 20 hospitals in their systems. Mm-hmm. So they got them tuned to solve problems and then they could put them on the market and they all did very well. Why? Because they'd actually gone to solve problems. There's nothing more compelling to a hospital CFO that the, 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 the hospital on the, system, on the street yes. saved $100,000 every 
you know, yeah, show me someone who's had this issue before. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. I that question a lot too. And and I do sometimes think too this this point around standardization. We're going through a lot of that uh, at the moment in Australia. There's a lot of interest in fire and how um, you know there's the CSIRO. We're taking a very active approach towards this co-creating with industry around standards and how um, you know, the fire protocols can be kind of built with you know um, solutions with fire in mind. At the same time, we're in this you know um, point with large language models and interesting ways to because the point of the the building with say the, through the fire standard let's say would be so that all these systems can speak to each other or when we're not it's not all this messy unstructured data living in pdfs it's it's information that can um actually solve some particular problems but i always wonder whether we're creating standards and and things for for issues that we're facing today when by the time they come out we've got technologies that might kind of supersede all of that too so there's kind of two trains of thoughts of yes solving for particular problems that we've got now but the rate of change with technology and the opportunity that exists there you always need to have one one eye on that too because that can Fair. can fast track a lot of uh, these issues that we're trying to solve now very difficult if you see of a company with limited resources right to yeah. to to, to future proof your products and yes. at the other end of the spectrum though if you are to see of a company in in a cutting edge technology you should be very aware of what those changes come to the pike it's unusual that these are completely out of the blue yeah um we had um LMs for over a decade. Yes. Um, they just weren't very good. But mm. if they're going to get better, it was obvious. Mm. So it, it shouldn't be a surprise. Um, and at the same time, some of these technologies are not being adopted quickly. So for example, uh, as I'm thinking about the LMs and, and how they came in, the obvious place that they really should just completely revolutionize is chatbots. Chatbots are hugely popular and useful and great, but they're limited by the fact that most of them are Boolean algorithms. Yes, if that, mm. then this. And so the minute you, your questions skew off that particular protocol, they don't have an answer for you. Boom, LLMs are fantastic, they're natural language, they can, but simply the problem was that they, um, that they hallucinated. Mm. So enter RAG, uh, that's supposed to solve that problem where you, the, 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 um, the data only, the, the data's access is from an only a limited data set that's defined by the user, by the provider of the, of the case. So it's like you can only answer questions from this yeah. series of information. And um, and that rapid access generation tied to LLM will now provide a far more accurate product. And now they're superseded that. Now, the reason I'm mentioning is that this sort of technology has been around for enough, long enough, that most of the large chatbot companies that are very well funded were not doing it. They were mm. still sitting with regular Boolean, watching, 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 watching mm. until the LLMs became credible enough and sophisticated enough to be able to not put the owner of the chatbot at risk. So it took three, two, three years really before they're starting, you're now starting to see them show up in the chatbot space, mm -hmm. in the healthcare chatbot space. And so there is the bit, yes, understand the technology is coming and then wait for it to be mature enough to be appropriate for your use case. And then you have to be at the front line to, uh, to implement it because otherwise you get left behind. And I'm thinking for... You know, often for a technology vendor that's uh, here in Australia and, and New Zealand as well, you're often given the advice of, well, uh, solve for a, for a problem in Australia, but build with global in mind because we've got 25 million uh, population in total in Australia and five in, in New Zealand or a little bit more. And uh, it's certainly a good use case if you're looking to build, say, a, a good, like a mild-sized technology company, but then you look at other parts of the world and just the, the the vast 
um, size of the problem to be solved in other parts of the world. It sometimes feels like Australia is this good test bed for it. Any advice, since you've seen different healthcare systems around and heard some of those problems to be solved, is there advice that you give to Australian technology vendors that are looking to build with Global yeah. in mind? Look, I tell you, I'm, I'm about to go to New Zealand and mm. I have a meeting with five startups there mm. and they're the same issue. Like we're not building for this New Zealand market. Yeah. Yes, but you don't know the American market. Mm. So you're building for a market you don't know based on what you think is the similar problem, even though your healthcare system is really quite different. How is that really going to play out? Well, if you have to be tackling those pain points that everybody really has, fine, perhaps it may work. It's happened. I mean, I've definitely seen European companies do well in the United States. Every time, like, geez, most of you guys are relatively small companies, relatively small budgets. You need to get the profitability before you come to America. Yeah. Because otherwise, how are you going to sustain the extraordinarily complicated marketing campaign? Plus, at the end of the day, when you do show up on our shores, we want to show, see that it worked, that it worked well, and you had some significant impact. Because again, now I'm going to, if I'm, if I'm a hospital system, et cetera, I'm going to have to take a chance on a company that's perhaps funded from outside. I'm not familiar with the funding models. I'm not sure how long you'd be around. I want to know that you're making enough money that you stick around regardless already. So if you're, if you can't find enough work that you can apply internally, do you really think mm. you're tackling a big enough problem that you'll be able to solve something else yeah. externally? Yeah. That's interesting. One of the, you first go, well, that's great. Here's my total addressable market in Australia. But for us to build to the size we want, we need more than, than, than the people that we've got here. But maybe there's not necessarily, you know, the same type of, um, patient demographic, well, there might be elements of that patient demographic elsewhere in the world, but um, yeah, it's it's one that requires perhaps looking even further within the, the current healthcare system to the problems to solve before first then looking elsewhere in the world. Fair, fair absolutely. And then let's, let's dive a little deeper. Okay, mm -hmm. so now we're talking about the problem itself. Is this a diagnostics problem? So you think you go for the most difficult, most complicated mm -hmm. part of healthcare to begin with? Okay, fine. You think you have a solution for that? Or are you looking at a hospital administrative problem? Is it a billing issue? Are you looking to find ways to optimize billing? Uh, Pre-authorization, as we talked earlier, offline. Is this a problem that you're trying to solve internally? Are you looking at a um, population health issue, trying to get large data sets and, and, and help the government or whoever some larger body to manage a large population? Are you looking at identifying the less great chemical molecule to treat a complex disease, all of those have very, very different business models. So then you have to look at how similar is a business model that I need to justify in Australia mm. to the American one, mm. and how likely is that going to translate, mm. right? So let's take your earlier thing, two and three Australians will get skin cancer. That's a pretty decent number. We don't have the same numbers in the United States. Even if you solve that problem and do it really, really well, mm. is that a pain point in the United States. And I'd say, well, not, probably not a pain point, mm. right? A problem, probably not a pain point. Mm. The technology can be applied to different pain points. As I said, that's, that's my take on a lot of these things. Is don't just think about your, your use case because your technology might have other applications. Come back to that as well. But so this idea of build locally, solve locally, and showcase internationally, to me, makes more sense than build locally for an international market. Yeah. The other thing is, in theory, Sydney may not be the best example of this, mm. your costs of production, costs of delivery 
should not be as high as they are in the United States. Your ability to penetrate market is not going to be as high because you have a simply smaller population, mm -hmm. smaller market. So again, it's about this idea, can you do it here? And if you can't do it here, are you really going to be able to do it yeah. there? I'd argue the costs in Sydney right now is a bit Seems harsh. Like the wrong one, yeah, no, it's <laughs> wrong example. <laughs> it's right now. But hopefully somewhere rough. else in Australia. Yeah, yeah, you can, yeah. I, heard, I heard the Gold Coast is a big it's, sector. It's very nice there too, yeah. yeah and that, that is true, actually. Um, the Gold Coast is definitely a place for um, a lot of start, uh, incubators happening there in the, in the health tech startup space. Something I was thinking as you were talking there too is that, um, you know, some might look to create solutions that may not necessarily be selling into hospital executives or that B2B approach, and they'll be looking to solve issues directly to, to consumers and, you know, that's, that brings its own kind of challenges a little bit to the point around um, that you, you mentioned around go-to-market strategies. But uh, often, you know, going out cold to, to market and just uh, relying on advertising or, or other, you know, social media or ways to, to um, speak to consumers directly with a product and, and hoping to, to sell first, sometimes building up that community or that, that, uh, that trust and credibility with just information or knowledge or, or, or insights is is often a, a powerful strategy that I've seen work for uh, organizations where it may not necessarily, like they're building up a, a community or a base of people that, that have the same problem to be solved. And then those vendors are, are listening to those consumers on like, well, these are the problems that we're facing um, and potentially there's an avenue to, to go down there. But all of that stuff kind of takes time. I think back to the, the point that you mentioned too around um, solving for perhaps it's not going for diagnostics first, it's going for operational um, or, or other areas of lower hanging fruit. I would imagine that would look a little bit more appealing on a potential investor's pitch deck as well, looking at, well, right now, here's the, the, the opportunity, but then looking over a longer period of time, there's opportunity for us to go into other markets as well. So um, yep. but perhaps that's a, um, a good way to, to position it. Take a look at an example of radiology, right? So with computer vision, being able to read x-rays, everybody was like, oh, you know, radiologists won't have a job in yeah. five years. Well, radiologists are doing just fine. Mm. So what happened? Uh, so the software has been implemented. People are using it to read scans. But most of these platforms were optimized for a specific thing. So the x-ray can, uh, so the software can look for cancer, metastatic cancer. It can look for fractures. You can look for pulmonary fibrosis, you can look for pneumonia. But each of those is essentially a different model. So what happens is that you take a physician, a doctor who's been trained in radiology, they can look at all those things at once. Mm. They really are multimodal AI. They're still more efficient than trying to run all, each of those models, each of those extras through that model. So what you saw happening was like, yeah, it's great, but it's still better to have a physician look at it. Yeah. So it became, so that's why we're, all the AI companies are moving towards a co-pilot, co-assistant yeah. concept. But the reason I mention is that the, the assumption was that we would knock somebody off that was doing a product. So, you know Clay Christensen, right? Yeah. And the Innovator's Dilemma and all the work he did. Well, the, one of the last things he did before he passed was talking about um, this idea of getting the job done. How do you get the job. What is the job to be done mm -hmm. more specifically? What I took away from that was, yes, it's very important to ask what the job is to be done. The next question to ask, which he also says, who is currently doing that job? And can you actually do that job better than that thing mm -hmm. and at a lower cost? Because if you can't do it at both, you're going to have a very hard time. So you come in a second, this great technology does this, this great thing. Uh, for example, robotics and orthopedic surgery right now. 
uh, amazing technology can do great things, it slows people down. And because the target is the same as you do with manual instruments, you go slower, but on average hitting the same target. So we couldn't really measure much improvement. So it wasn't until the robot enables us to do something we cannot otherwise do, that you don't actually see value. Yes. Because the, the thing that was doing the job before were manual instruments, have been optimized over 40 years to do their job very well, and they're inexpensive. And by the way, that cost has already been absorbed because those things have already been made. Mm. Robot comes in a million dollars, and you have a hard time demonstrating that it's doing a better job, because it's doing the same job. Mm. You start having issues with uh, the value proposition. Yeah. Unless you can show that it can do something you cannot do in manual instruments, and then that that thing is more valuable than what you did before, mm. you have a problem. So it's a very good, a good lens as you're trying to decide, do I need to bring this product to market? Mm. Okay, what does the product actually do? It reads an x-ray. What's it look for? It looks for fractures. Mm. Okay, what else can it do? No, that's all it can do. It's all got money to make it to do. If you give me more money, I'll make it do more things. Okay, fine. But for the time you're coming to market with that, whose job are you replacing? Mm. A radiologist. Okay. Is that radiologist only looking for fractures? Actually, no. They can read CT scans, MRIs, et cetera. Okay, then how are you going to displace them? Yeah. You're not going to displace them. Yeah. So that means that you're an added cost. Mm. So if you're not going to mean there's an added cost, what's the value proposition? And if you can't answer that question, mm. then you have a problem in your business model. Yes. So understanding what job you're trying to do in Australia or in America, another way to think about it is, okay, if I'm going to do this job in Australia diagnosing melanoma in patients, mm. Whose job am I doing? For whom? Whatever. Who's mm -hmm. my customer? Is that job being done? Who's doing it in the United States? Well, it turns out it's probably not the GP. Because you told me earlier, yeah. it's like the GP. Yeah. So who's you going to go? Who's you go to market? Well, it's dermatology. Well, they don't need it. Mm -hmm. So you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a really good way to understand. Will this, in my opinion, maybe I'm wrong, but to, to understand whether or not something can translate. I think too, like there might be vendors that think oh yeah no I, I get it. i know what problem i'm solving and th then the, the the easy answer is to say well if i'm saving some time for clinicians or anyone that's giving them more time to care for mm -hmm. patients which is true but also i guess being able to see that in practice it's one like you need to go a few levels deeper to actually understand yes. that a little bit more rather right. than just see that as a, as a quick tick the box because it's it's definitely not a tick the box exercise um lastly to, to finish off this conversation um yes. what, what excites you about the future of as we move into 2024 and you're speaking to different healthcare systems around the world and all these emerging technologies, like how are you prioritizing some of your conversations or where do you see the most amount of uh, opportunity for uh, the system to lean into to solve some of these tricky problems? Uh, I, I hate to sound like a broken record like everybody else, but AI has made these, and AI, I mean generative AI, mm. is making these opportunities palpable. Yeah. They're for the first time coming into the general consciousness um, that they actually can help you understand the data coming off your company, that your hospital system is understandable, that anybody in your system could access these reports and generate them to answer questions locally. It'll give us the opportunity to flatten the organizations and redistribute workloads. To the thoughtful architect of a future vision of healthcare, uh, these tools are going to make a massive difference. And they don't require the same kind of investments that you had to invest in previously, mm -hmm. right? Because accessing data is not the same as generating data, if you know what I mean, and digitizing the entire healthcare system. Now we're saying you've done all that. 
let's just make sense of that data. And so for the first time, you can start seeing the value proposition back to people who are forced to digitize the healthcare system, mm-hmm. who didn't ever see much value, seeing as their physicians all stressed out by it. Um, now we can actually look into these data sets and ask the questions we couldn't answer before. So I do see that rather than having uh, a single application being pumped out specifically uh, that will cover everybody like, you know, ChatGPT, there'll be these customized LLMs that will be far more um, powerful than what we've seen today in their ability to support our ability, so support our insights into our business processes. Yeah. Again, I think business is going to be the first wave of the, the, health, the delivery of care is going to be where we see the best improvement, whether that is efficient resource utilization, resource management, and resource distribution, the ability to then also push uh, care out of expensive healthcare systems like hospitals into peripheral care models. And lastly, I'm loving the cobot concept. I don't think we're going to see it next year. I think it'll take two or three more years before you see it really play out. But the ability to have a trusted assistant with you at all times, so you don't make mistakes, that's good. That's really good. And lastly, there's, um, uh, it might have, this conversation might have caught the attention of um, anyone within the healthcare system in Australia and other parts of the world too. Well, who are the kinds of people you're interested in speaking to on this kind of oh, little junket great. around the world and yeah. uh, how should they get in touch? Yeah, I'll just thank you. Thank you very much for that opportunity. Yeah. I'm looking to uh, meet with any, um, anybody who's involved in the digital transformation of healthcare. Or they see themselves as a leader in that space and they wish to be a leader that perhaps uh, their, their healthcare system or a small practice or this run a startup or they're a venture capitalist mm. and they see, um, they feel like they have a good insight into what is happening in their environment and their company and their um, their environment is correct. Uh, their countries, um, I am traveling from, uh, to the, not, not everywhere, unfortunately, I'll be back. This year it's, uh, it's Australia, New Zealand, um, Singapore, India, uh, UAE, uh, in Egypt, and then pretty much all over Europe. Yeah. And before I come back, fair amount of time in the British Isles and uh, very excited to to have those meetings uh, with those people and interview them one-on-one and just ask the same questions as I'm going to ask you in a second. <laughs> where, do you, where do you see the, the biggest challenges? Because I think that's where the opportunity comes in. Again, it's back to the pain points. What are real pain points in the health? Yeah. Where things that people are paying attention to because it's a problem. Like you said here, two-thirds of people are going to get skin cancer. Yeah. That's That that gets people's attention, right? right. Uh, that's a pain point. Um, so that's uh, that's where I'm going. And then I believe in this idea that digital transformation is our only solution. We cannot deliver care to all these people without some support from technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's many technologies we've talked about. It's not just AI. There's 3D printing. There's uh, uh, we talked about uh, blockchain. There's uh, avatars. There's uh, uh, voice recognition software. Is very interesting. Um, there's lots going on. Um, yeah. Hey, before you go, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you enjoyed the show, write a nice review and give us five stars in your favorite podcast player. At the time of this recording, we've been stuck on 65 reviews on Apple. I'm not sure what that's about, but if this show is part of your regular routine and you've listened this far, it'd mean the world to me if you could take two minutes and write a nice review, give us five stars. It does more than just boost my ego. It also helps us climb the charts and reach more people. Thanks so much. Well, Stefano, we'll put the details for uh, yourself in the show notes of this episode for people to reach out uh, if they're keen to have a chat. I really appreciate you making the time. Oh, thanks, mate. That was really good. Really good. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Talking Health Tech. Make sure you like and subscribe and share this episode with someone who might find it valuable. 
For more information and resources about healthcare innovation, visit TalkingHealthTech.com.